Women's health needs, and especially our hormonal needs, are finally receiving the attention we've deserved for years. And Hormone Harmony, a new sponsor of SelfWork, rates as one of the top five hormonal supplement companies out there. If you're a young woman struggling with that week before your period when moods can be all over the place, and I certainly don't miss that, or older when you're so glad menopause is here, but if you're like me, you sometimes stare at yourself in the mirror and ask, where did I go? Hormone Harmony has become a phenomenon. Women cannot stop talking about it on social media, and a bottle of Hormone Harmony is sold every 24 seconds. Basically, if you breathe in and out slowly twice, that's the amount of time it takes for one more woman to understand she can reach out for help, no matter what her age, through Hormone Harmony. For a limited time, you can get 15% off your entire first order at happymammoth.com. Just use the code SELFWORK at checkout. That's happymammoth.com and use the code SELFWORK for 15% off today. This is Self Work, and I'm Dr. Margaret Rutherford. At Self Work, we'll discuss psychological and emotional issues common in today's world and what to do about them. I'm Dr. Margaret. And self-work is a podcast dedicated to you taking just a few minutes today for your own self-work. Hello and welcome to Self-Work. I'm Dr. Margaret Rutherford. I'm a clinical psychologist and I've lived and worked in Fayetteville, Arkansas for almost 30 years. But I began the Self-Work podcast five years ago because I really wanted to reach out to you to talk about what therapy is really like and maybe some misunderstandings or even ignorance you might have about it. I want to reach three groups, those of you who are already in therapy but would like another opinion, those of you who've maybe just been diagnosed or come to realize that something's a problem and you're looking for answers, but also to those of you, and a very important third group, that would say to a good friend, ah, I don't believe in that therapy stuff. I think you should be able to solve your own problems because you do solve your own problems in therapy. You just have someone there with you to add their perspective that's based on a lot of experience. And maybe you're unhappy enough or curious enough to listen to self-work today. So welcome to all of you. Today we're talking about relationships, and I base this talk on a very honest question that one of my Facebook closed group members asked. And many people after that chimed in and said they like to hear about it too. She wrote that she feared her expectations of others reflected a demanding perfectionism, that she knew it was right for them, and then she'd be disappointed, even miserable, when they didn't do what she expected them to do. So in today's episode, sponsored by AG1, or Athletic Greens, we're going to focus on the fairly sticky subject of expectations, demands, and boundaries. What do you do when you feel disappointed by others? Do you isolate or judge? Do you get mad or sulk? Could it be that your expectations are the problem? Is it different to voice your expectations than it is to secretly have expectations? Or is that playing a game that the other person doesn't know you're playing? And how do boundaries fit in here? Lots of questions today and some of my thoughts on potential answers. The listener email for today is from a young 21-year-old who feels tremendous loyalty to her family and feels needed by them, but she also feels very stuck and admits she could hold on to a victim mentality. She's dealing with enmeshment, it sounds like. She's asking how she can take baby steps to start living more independently. It's a wonderful question, and I'll do my best to give her some ideas. I joined a group myself this week called My Podcast Reviews, and it's a really cool website for podcasters, and I discovered something. 
I've never been able to see the ratings from other countries. And I have ratings from Canada, the United Kingdom, Australia, Austria, Belgium, Brazil, and of course the United States, but I can see those. So thank you all. I had no knowledge that you were doing that. Here's one from Sam08180. I really want to thank him. I love this podcast and Dr. Rutherford's book, Perfectly Hidden Depression. I listen to every episode of the podcast, even if the topic may not on its face pertain to my situation. Dr. Rutherford always says something insightful that I can relate to and applies in many contexts, which I find really helpful. Reading her book has helped me recognize my perfectionistic tendencies and how damaging they are to my mental health. I've used the guidance from her book and podcast to learn to quiet my inner critic more often and instead be more kind and compassionate to myself and others. Wow. Thank you. Somebody else in October of last year. I've been a podcast fan for years, and I can't believe I just found Dr. Margaret a few weeks ago. Thank you for giving me a voice and help daily. That is just so wonderful. Thank you to all you Canadians out there. I really appreciate you being here. So from now on, I'll be checking in on these other countries' reviews, and I'll read yours. So please sit back and relax. Let's focus on expectations, demands, and boundaries. I hope you can relax with that topic. I created a Facebook closed group, Self Work, maybe three years ago, with the hope that its members and I could create a supportive group for people who are living very diverse lives. We're over 3,000 strong now, and although there have been a few problems along the way, what has emerged is a group full of people who give one another support and encouragement, lots of laughter, and of course, their own bit of wisdom learned from their experience. All in all, it's really surpassed what I thought it could be. So this last week, a member posted this comment and question. Do we sometimes create our own misery? I think I do. I have horrible little demons called expectations, and when they're not met by others, I feel rejected, dejected, and want to distance myself from those people who are not living up to them, even if they are the closest people to me. I try and rationalize it all, but then it becomes muddled in my head. How much of my expectation is fair and just, and how much is just me trying to have control over the actions of others? and how they live their lives to satisfy my perfectionistic heart and the belief that I know best. I don't know. All I know is that I'm constantly disappointed, and it's making me miserable. If I had no expectations of others, would I be happy? If so, how do I rid myself of the ones I have? Seriously struggling with all this at the moment. As I said in the intro, her post got a lot of comments, and several people tagged me and asked if I'd put in my two cents, so I decided to do it here with all of you. I came up with three things that I thought were important to talk about. First, the difference between a demand and a boundary. Second, relationship expectations versus perfectionistic demands. And in that discussion, we'll also touch on secret expectations that you have of others but never share. Is that healthy or okay? But the third thing is that running behind this topic is what I believe we want in our relationships, the creation of safety. But far too frequently, instead of actions being motivated by safety or a desire for it, someone is trying to control someone else. And there's nothing about that that feels safe in an adult relationship. Safety is a healthy goal. To have a sense of being able to talk about what you expect or need to feel safe and secure in a relationship and control is usually more manipulative. First, let's touch on boundaries. I've talked about boundaries before on self-work, and those links will be in your show notes. 
Healthy boundaries are set up in friendships and partnerships in all kinds of ways. Understanding and agreements about confidentiality, what is shared with others and what isn't, for example. Agreements about fidelity. Relationship boundaries can be pretty complex. How many of you still struggle with setting boundaries with your families as far as whether you're going to come over or spend holidays together? Families can strongly resist younger members setting new boundaries. To me, a boundary is identifying how you might be the same or different than someone else and how that difference needs to be respected in the relationship. Here's the fancy definition. A boundary is a psychological demarcation that protects the integrity of an individual or group or that helps the person or group set realistic limits on participation in a relationship or activity. For example, have you ever heard, we've always done it this way, and that can become a rigid expectation. Setting a boundary when you hear something like that would be saying, oh, I respect that this has a tradition and a history, but it's now important to me to try to do things differently. So boundaries are generally very healthy when approached respectfully, but they aren't always welcome. And often when they're not, they're perceived as demands. If you assertively tell your partner, I don't feel comfortable spending that much money right now when I don't even have a job. I know you want to, but I simply can't. That's a boundary. Now they can hear it as a line in the sand or a demand. And your history with someone greatly influences how the two of you process whether it feels like a boundary or a demand. I've had this conversation so many times in couples work, and it can take some hard reworking to point out that hearing something as a demand suggests a lack of trust. You're doing this to control me. That suggests there's no trust. Rather than saying, okay, I may not like hearing this, but I can hear that that's the way you truly feel right now. How can we compromise? There's a huge difference there. So again, if someone says, I don't feel comfortable spending much money, and you're saying, you're just trying to control me, that suggests no trust. Instead, you could say, oh, I don't like hearing that, but I believe what you're saying. How can we compromise? Again, big difference. Before we go on to talk about expectations, Athletic Greens, which is a lovely green powder that I mix with water and give myself a gift every morning of good health, Athletic Greens has a wonderful offer for you self-work listeners and some news reflecting their commitment to global health as well. Let's listen in. Our partner, AG1, has a product I use every day. I started taking Athletic Greens, frankly, because they were interested in sponsoring self-work, and I never recommend something to you without trying it first. With one scoop of AG1, whose taste is somewhere between sweet and tart to me, you'll get 75 high-quality minerals, vitamins, probiotics, adaptogens, and whole food source superfoods, which support everything from your gut to your immune system to your energy level. I love it because whether I'm home and about to go out for a walk or traveling and about to spend time with friends and family, I can start my day proactively, knowing I'm doing something for my own self-care. If you're like me, self-care can get lost for sure. In fact, its founder, after having severe gut issues, realized he was taking over $100 a day worth of supplements, which had their own very complicated dosage routine, so he created Athletic Greens. To make it easy, and because you're a self-work listener, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is to visit athleticgreens.com slash self-work. Again, that's athleticgreens.com slash self-work. 
to take ownership of your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. Now let's talk about expectation. Actually, expectation gets a horrible rap. I often hear, true love means you don't have expectations. You accept the person for who they are. I think that's ridiculous, frankly. I think those are two things, expectation and acceptance. I have expectations as a grocery clerk who checks my groceries out. I want and expect them to not bag things up where the bag is going to break. I expect them not to overcharge me. I'd like them to be pleasant, but I can also be understanding about that. You have expectations of this podcast, of me. You expect me to be ethical. You expect me to maintain confidentiality if you email me. You expect me to quote sources that are reliable. So when someone says having expectations of someone means you're not accepting them for who they are, my thought is something quite different. I can accept them for who they are, but decide if they don't meet the most basic of my reasonable expectations then I either need to speak up or look somewhere else for a better fit. This kind of expectation seems to be about the creation of safety and trust. I expect my partner to be truthful. I expect them to keep me in their minds when they're making decisions. Those are more than reasonable expectations. I hope you could hear the difference between expectation and acceptance. I did find some research that reported that often our expectations of happiness often set us up for disappointment. Like if you win the lottery or you get married, we expect a much greater boost of happiness than what we actually experience. Now, on the other hand, I certainly know people, and I'm sure you do too, whose motto seems to be expect nothing or even expect the worst. Again, I think people who believe that are trying to feel safe so they don't get disappointed. Having expectations or not having expectations are usually about feeling safe. Let's talk for a minute, however, about expectations of others. My Facebook participant says she recognizes that she's a perfectionist and that she frequently expects others to make choices or live their lives like she believes is right. It's the old, I'm going to redo the way you loaded the dishwasher because you did it wrong. That's, I, I hear so many arguments about that. This is not about safety, it's about control. And this kind of control, where you have to have someone do it the way you want them to do it, often is about more insecurity in themselves than anything else. Now, there is something called other-oriented perfectionism, and that means you set very high expectations for others to do things perfectly, and that perfectly is decided by you. And that is a category of perfectionism that's destructive. There's also a diagnosis called OCPD, or Obsessive Compulsive Personality Disorder. It's probably the mental health diagnosis where someone's obsessiveness actually governs them so much that they expect others to do exactly what they do. That's a very unhappy way to live, and certainly the people around have a hard time with it. I had a patient years ago who had OCPD. It's not obsessive-compulsive disorder. It's obsessive-compulsive personality disorder, which is different. And not until he heard his little four-year-old son out on the deck, my patient's parents were there, and the little four-year-old saw my patient's father get up from his chair, and his chair scratched the deck a little bit. And the four-year-old said, Oh, no, don't scratch the deck. And my patient said his heart sank because he was realizing he was teaching his child that little things like that really mattered. So he came in for treatment. 
I've had some requests to do an actual episode on OCPD, and so I will try to do that soon. Another aspect of expectations of others is whether they're known or you keep them secret. Frankly, I'm not a huge fan of having secret expectations, especially if you have any emotional investment in what you're expecting or hoping. I'm going to wait and see if she or he remembers our anniversary, for example. Nothing is said. Now, don't get me wrong. Not remembering an anniversary or a birthday or whatever can hurt. I get that. But let's go on and use this example. What if you already know that your partner is awful about remembering dates? It's almost like you're setting a trap. And then you're going to be hurt. I hear people say things like, I'm going to see if X, Y, or Z happens. I'm going to wait to see what happens. I'm going to keep my thoughts to myself and see if she notices. I'm not going to text all day and see if they notice. It's this game you're playing. You're testing your partner or your friend. And they don't even know it's a test. And then if it involves a weakness of theirs, again, they're probably going to fail the test. So I'm a much bigger fan of having expectations that you've reasonably stated and then deciding if they're being ignored or disregarded. If they are, that can create lots of tension and resentment. Trust is being eroded, and that can be very painful. And that's when your disappointment or resentment may lead you to changing your language, letting your partner or friend or child or parent, whomever, know they're crossing a boundary with you. Now we get to boundaries. So you have expectations, they're not being met, they're being ignored or disregarded, and you're getting angry or tense or resentful. That's when boundaries come in. Like we talked at the beginning, boundaries are not the same as a demand, which is a harsh, strong expectation of having control. A demand is about control. No, a boundary is when you need to describe to someone that their actions are crossing a line with you. And now we've come back to the first topic, the difference between a boundary and a demand. Remember, a boundary is a psychological demarcation that protects the integrity of an individual or group. Again, you can hear it's about safety or that helps the person or group set realistic limits on participation in a relationship or activity, meaning, okay, I'll go to the party, but I'm not going to drink or I'll go to the party, but we need to leave at a decent hour. Whatever it is, it can be you either saying, I can only participate so much, or you're saying you need someone to understand that you can't do something because it it crosses a boundary for you. It endangers your integrity. Very, very important difference. (laughs) Now, perhaps this story will make you smile. I don't know. My partner uses humor to make his expectations known to me. I am much more messy than he is. And he used to put post-it notes underneath something I'd left on the floor with the words, I outweighed you. (laughs) It was his funny way of playing a game, but not setting me up for failure. He knew he'd outweighed me. And we'd both laugh, and he'd get his point across, and maybe next time I'd pick up my shoes. Now, I know picking up shoes is a small thing, but playing games with expectations instead of having a real conversation about a disappointment or hurt will not work. Those talks are hard, but they can build intimacy and trust as well. I often say that marriage or long-committed relationships have at their core, when they're healthy, such a unique bond. Because we all know, I've been disappointing, I've been irritating, I've been hurtful. But still my partner wants to get up in the morning with me, plan a trip, eat whatever I fix for dinner, whether it's good or bad. And what other relationships survive 
that kind of disappointment or hurt. Maybe long friendships. But when you've had expectations that have been met, not all the time, some of the time, you work through your disappointments and boundaries are respected, it feels really wonderful. So let's go back to my Facebook colleague and talk about very tangibly what she could do. First, I think she can raise her awareness and be sure to filter her expectations with questions. What's behind me needing for this person to do it my way? What would that prove to me? What am I needing from them that I'm not putting words to? What's behind me setting myself up for disappointment? Did anyone treat me this way in the past and I'm repeating it? There could be so many questions to ask about her habit of having this other-oriented perfectionism. Number two, she can voice her reasonable expectations and then either discuss compromise or negotiation. Hopefully that would help with her constant disappointment and she can avoid the misery that she feels. Now, you can hear how hard this is for her. And yet it's very important also to remember one thing, which I've talked about here on self-work. Sometimes you can expect something from someone, want it badly, and you have to realize that they're not withholding it from you. They don't have the capability of giving it. It's like going to a hardware store and expecting ice cream. That may be something to grieve. It may be something that you really like. Maybe you even have expected in a relationship, but you're not going to get it. And so you grieve, but it can lead to more acceptance. And then you can look around your world to see where you might get this thing that you need or desire. If you don't get it from your partner, maybe you can get it from your friend. If not your parent, then an older adult who can mentor you. That's why we call them reasonable expectations. Because sometimes if your partner or your friend isn't capable of giving it, it has to be grieved. And then very appropriately, you look for it elsewhere. Number three, the last thing after she's asked herself hard questions and understands how being right became so important to her, she can decide if she needs to set that boundary to let it be known that if her expectation or her needs or whatever continue to be disappointed or disregarded, then she will no longer feel safe in the relationship. That's a hard discussion, but one that can offer clarity. I hope this has been helpful and met (laughs) your expectations. Our listener email today I'm going to read. It's a little bit long. Hello, Dr. Margaret. I'm very glad I found your podcast. What I'm emailing you for is that I feel overwhelmed and burned out in my family. I'm in my mid-20s, and I'm still living with my mother. She used to try to run my life, and she overthinks everything. She sometimes would try to discourage me whenever I wanted to try something or would find the negative in it. When my dad was living, he was overprotective and tried to shelter me. My mom lives vicariously through my younger sister, who is off following her dreams. I also work with the rest of my family. I don't get paid a lot, but I stay because I feel like they need my help. My family does not communicate, and there's a lot of toxicity and dysfunction. I feel burned out. My quality of life is low because I feel too overwhelmed and tired to follow my dreams, and I sometimes feel like my family owns me. What would be the best way to take baby steps towards being more responsible for my own life and doing what I want to do? I think I may still be in the same mindset I had when I was a teenager, and I'm having trouble convincing myself that I have the power to change my life and make my own decisions. I'd like to overcome what I think might be a victim mentality in myself and be more independent with my own life. 
I'm still afraid to stand up to my mother because she can be intimidating, and she and my aunt will argue with you until you agree with them. P.S. I can't afford regular therapy right now. Okay. Not to oversimplify, but this sounds like pretty classic enmeshment, when the boundaries of the family are practically non-existent, and the often unspoken rule is that you're abandoning the family if you consider being more of your own individual self. Her sister escaped. Maybe the mom is kind of living through her, as this writer wonders as well. But the writer also sounds as if she realizes her own responsibility, that she stayed in a more adolescent persona. So, here are a few things you can do. First, and probably foremost, and this is very pragmatic, try to become financially independent, or more independent. If your family truly can't pay you more, and that may not be manipulative, but paying you a low wage maintains the dynamic, and could be manipulation, then you may have to get a second job, so that you can save for your own apartment or whatever independence might mean to you. Even working in another place, you'll meet people your own age as it sounds as if you're isolated. I hear, loud and clear, that you're drained and tired, but that could also be because of boredom or a sense of being stuck rather than anything else. If you simply can't get another job, do something small away from home. Volunteer. Get out of the house. Know your family won't give you permission. They'll argue with you. But you have to confront your fears somehow. Most of the people who've written to me that are in your situation fear being ousted from their family. But it sounds as if you play an important role for them. You have to accept that you're not going to get permission from them to become your own person. It won't happen. Maybe your sister got it, but right now it's not coming your way. And now is a great time to start. You can also listen to the interview I did a few weeks ago with Ashley Stahl, who is a career coach and has some great ideas about how to change the course of your life. Good luck to you. Remember, your very first step was reaching out to me. So now, what will be your second? By the way, the name of Ashley Stahl's book is U-Turn. Again, it's another step. Thank you so much for being here. Again, I'm so appreciative and grateful for finding all those reviews from other countries. There are over 300 of them. It's really astounding. Thank you for that. If you want to join the Facebook group, it's facebook.com slash groups slash self-work. And I'd love to have you there. You can always email me at askdrmargaret at drmargaretrutherford.com. You can subscribe at my website and you'll receive a newsletter every week. Plain and simple. It'll have my weekly blog post as well as the podcast. So thank you so much for being here. Please take very good care in these times that are still very ambiguous and very difficult. I'm Dr. Margaret, and this has been self